Hello, everyone, and welcome to When Passion Meets Profit. This is the podcast that's really focusing on you. You making an income, the income you deserve, by the way, doing what you love. I'm Patricia Noel Drain, and I'm your host for today's episode titled Three Husbands and a Thousand Boyfriends with Patricia Brooks. I'm so anxious to get into this because I know nothing about what Patricia is going to be talking about. I kind of did that on purpose. But before we get into this exciting title, I really wanted to share that I might be a dinosaur because, you know, I still don't have pierced ears. (laughs) And I think I might be the only one that is still doing one-on-one mentoring. But I, you know, I used to do it all the time. And now it's different because I just don't have the time. So I am I'm taking three a month and it still brings so much joy into my life because I love watching entrepreneurs like you all all of a sudden light up because they get it. They have a plan, a strategy, knowing exactly what to do to move forward so that they can not only move forward, but move upward in their business. So if you are interested in doing that, you can go to my site, patriciadrain.com because it's on there. Scroll down and you can see it. But You also can just email me, patricia at patriciadrain.com, if you're finally ready to move forward. Oh, and upward. (laughs) Now on with the episode. I never introduce my guests formally because I really love hearing them tell their story. So I want to welcome Patricia Brooks. Welcome, Patricia. Thank you. I've never interviewed another Patricia. Isn't that funny? Well, do you know a lot of Patricias? A few, yes, a few. Well, I love, I'm so anxious to hear your story, Patricia. And I I, I once, you know, we were just going over before we came on the podcast uh, about when we saw each other last. And it's so fun to have memories like that, you know, just flashbacks to when we saw each other. But tell us your story and your background, Patricia. Thank you. Well, my background probably started when I moved to Arizona in the 70s with my ex-husband and we we got into the real estate business. But that's been far and away a long time ago now, probably over 25 years since I've been in that career. And how my writing career started, which actually is my third career, was another one in between real estate and what I'm doing now, was my sister passed away and I wanted to write a book about her and about grief and grief in regards to siblings. So that's how my writing started. And it uh, developed because I also started a women's writers club here in Scottsdale that I've had now for 18 years. And I wanted to just have that camaraderie with other women writers. And then self-publishing was new. And so my husband and I decided after we'd self-published a couple of our own books and started learning more and more about it, that we'd help other people. And we've been doing that for about 20 years. But where the Three Husbands and a Thousand Boyfriends book came along was that probably, oh, now it's about 30 years ago, during the time I was going to graduate school, I ended up in a relationship with somebody that I didn't expect to be uh, an abuser. And I was introduced to him by friends who knew him from their church, et cetera. Anyway, I didn't live with him, have children with him. I wasn't financially dependent on him, which is the stereotype of domestic mm-hmm. violence. But that's the pretty much the arc of the story. But why it's three husbands and a thousand boyfriends is not only because I'm a domestic violence survivor of many, many years now, but 
also because I had two marriages and two divorces in my 20s. And I always say, once I figured out and had a therapist tell me, if just because they ask, you don't have to say yes, <laughs> things changed in my life. And I spent 25 years uh, single, not a, not a parent. And then I met my third husband when I was 52. So I was divorced from 27 to 52. And a lot of what I write about in the book is about my experiences, what I learned in the, um, all the relationships I had in high school, college, but more importantly, when my peak hit with the domestic violence and I really took a look at where I was going in, in that area of my life because I w- had been successful in the real estate business. I earned a graduate degree. I was developing a, a training business and so on, but that segment of my life was crazy. And anyway, I decided after this incident happened, it was close to 10 years later, that I was ready to write about it. And I also investigated something that came up in therapy called love addiction. And I write about that in the book also, because that's childhood abandonment. And I won't go into a whole story about that because I don't write about that issue, but it is abandonment with your parents, either emotionally, psychologically, or physically, in, and all of those experiences happened to me and my sisters. But I wanted to investigate that to understand why things were happening the way they were for me. Fortunately, uh, when those 25 years went by where I lived by myself, went to school, worked, uh, and did a lot of therapy, and I was also in recovery, I learned a lot about myself, which I think is the most critical mm-hmm. thing that a woman can do for herself is to really understand who we are, who, you know, understand who I am and was. So by the time I met my third husband, who was my neighbor, he was a snowbird. He wasn't the kind of guy I would have ever picked. And he was perfect for me. We've been married 18 years this month, actually next weekend. We've been together 22 years. We have a wonderful relationship. It's completely different than any relationship I'd ever had in my Mm. life. I believe it's a gift from God. Truly. Yeah. But I wrote about him in the at the end of the book because I always, when we're at a book event and we display all our books, I always say, you know, this is my happy third husband. And we always laugh about it. And the title of the book gets a lot my of interest <laughs> because it's different. Mm-hmm. And it was the title I always wanted. And my critique group was a little apprehensive about it. But I said, you know, sometimes you just know when you know, and that has to be the title. So what's happened in the last 20 years is I had the first book come out, this book come out, then I've written a third book about my recovery, I'm writing a fourth book about writing memoir, and I teach a memoir writing class now at Arizona State. I did it last spring and this fall, and it's really for seniors. It's not a, a, a class where I grade the student. Any, any students can come, of course. And it's really sort of come full circle because I'm able to help other people not, well, the title of the workshop is Write the Memoir You're Afraid to Write. And it's really been a joy to do it. And for me to be able to, as I said, showcase what I've done, but more importantly, help people relate to what I've done so they can write their own books. So in a nutshell, that's pretty much what I do. I spend a lot of time promoting my Women's Writers Club which has 70 women. I have a professional speaker come in every month. And you were one of my speakers about 10 mm-hmm. years ago. Mm-hmm. We figured that out. 
And it's, uh, it's a great life. I, I know that this is where I was supposed to be at this point in my life. Um, the real estate business, I spent 20 years in a career that Max's husband picked for me. And then I was in a couple other things in the interim with school and the train doing training for people. But I absolutely know that this yeah. last 20 years in writing and publishing is it, it's me. It's probably what I've always wanted. To yeah, do. it's called finally finding your passion and making a profit with that. And that's wonderful that you're doing it. I love that you're teaching at ASU and especially teaching writing memoirs, you know, for, for people that are ready to write it. And I love your title, mm -hmm. Memoirs You're Afraid to Write. I love that. That sounds mm -hmm. great. Now, I only, I want to ask this because this is the part that really, it wasn't the three husbands that got my attention. It was the thousand boyfriends. <laughs> so tell me how you added up a thousand boyfriends. Well, it's sort of tongue in cheek, okay. you know, I mean, there are only so many hours in the day. But I always had a boyfriend, always. you know, mm -hmm. even if I liked them or I didn't like them. And that's part of the love addiction. That's part of the um, the childhood abandonment. Mm -hmm. You know, I was I always had a boyfriend. I I, I quote this in the book, but I, I like to re remind myself that when I was in sixth grade, I was always a good student. I was, in sixth grade, I was a head taller than everybody in the class. Now I'm five foot two and everybody towers. Over <laughs> me. But in that time, I looked older than a 12 year old. And my sixth grade teacher wrote on the back of my report card and she said, Patty's a good student, but she wants to talk to the boys at recess instead of playing with the girls. Mm. And that should have been a clue because that was the beginning of just always having to have a boyfriend. I mean, I would go to the prom with anybody that asked me just so that yeah. I could have a date for the prom. Mm -hmm. And I was very involved in school and, you know, had steady boyfriends here and there and. Um, but it was just, you know, when I married the first time I was a freshman in college and, you know, I always say I married the first guy that asked me, I mean, it was crazy. <laughs> and, you know, I wasn't in love with him. I mean, by the time we got to his, he was in seminary in Dubuque, Iowa. And by the time we arrived there after being together for a year in college, I thought, what the heck am I doing oh, wow. here? You know, it was like a foreign country. And it was me. It wasn't it really wasn't about him. It was me. And I am within a year. I married my second husband yeah. and we were together about seven years and moved out here. He was from Arizona. But um, I finally, fortunately, realized that I had to stop. I just had to stop marrying somebody that mm -hmm. asked me. And that, so the thousand boyfriends were really Way too many boyfriends. I always say if I could do it, change anything in my life, I wouldn't have dated as much. And I would have maybe worked harder on this or yeah. traveled here. You know, it would it was always about, you know, well, who are you going mm -hmm. out or where we're going or what we're doing? And it was it was that insecurity, that need for that attention, for mm -hmm. that love, which was all part of that abandonment. And my parents were there for us, but not emotionally. Not emotionally. And then my mother would leave on occasion when my parents would get in a big row. She'd leave for a couple of weeks and then she'd come back and we'd come home from school one day and she'd be baking cookies yeah. and life went on. Yeah. Well, and I, I have heard boy. that also. And I'm so glad that you really came to that realization of really digging into mm -hmm. yourself, because to me, it's everything that inner knowing of yourself. And this mm -hmm. gave you the opportunity to do it. 
But, you know, it's so funny listening to you talking. I really understand that because I knew some girls like that that had to have a boyfriend no matter what they were doing. They had to have a boy next to them. But see, you're talking to somebody that I met my husband when I was 16 years old. And here we are all oh these goodness. years later. Yeah. Uh, and and we thank each other every day because we got to be the lucky ones, you know, the people that were chosen. Yes. Because it's, it's not easy to find your soulmate at 16 for sure. But I wonder, mm -hmm. uh, Patricia, if you, if somebody listening right now is in the domestic violent uh, circle, and, and I know lots of people that are verbally or physically, what would you say to them? Well, first of all, um, ironically, October is Domestic Violence Awareness oh. Month. And there's a lot of publicity out there about it, but there's publicity about it all the time. And the number one thing I always tell people is to um, call the uh, national hotline. And in my book, actually, in the back, I have a list of post-traumatic stress uh, resources, addiction resources, sexual and domestic violence resources. Uh, in Arizona, it's the Arizona Coalition to End Sexual and Domestic Violence. But there's also a, a legal advocacy hotline. There's a national domestic violence hotline. Call somebody. Even if you... if that is too overwhelming to you, tell a friend, tell a relative, tell a neighbor. Um, even if you don't think that day your life is in danger, technically your life is in danger. I never thought my life was in danger with this person because he didn't live with me. And I ended up in the emergency room with 12 stitches in the back of my mm. head. And it just escalated. It continuously, the, the berating and then the physical and, you know, and just, and then, you know, the, trying to keep him away from me with, you know, legal paperwork and all of that. And the bottom line is I didn't tell the right mm -hmm. people. I didn't ask for help. And that is to me is the whole thing in a nutshell. And it's hard to leave. And sometimes leaving puts you in more danger because you could be killed after mm -hmm. you leave. But the thing is asking for help and, you know, it's the shame of admitting that you're in yeah, that situation. Yeah. I was a, had a professional career and a good education. Yeah. I mean, I'm really vulnerable when I'm laying in the emergency room. But the thing is asking for help, whether it's, like I said, calling the hotline or, you know, reaching out to a neighbor. P people want to help me. Mm, yes, they do. And I think that's really important. Yeah, I, it really is. And so how did you finally have the courage? If you asked all the wrong people and you didn't go for, for the right kind of help, how did you have the courage to get out of there? Well, what happened was he, um, I had a restraining order against it, which meant nothing to him. Mm -hmm. And he broke into the back of my condominium. And that's the night that, that things got extremely violent. And I ended up uh, he finally left me there and the neighbors, I was in an apartment here in Scottsdale and the neighbors called um, the 911 number and people came and they took me to the emergency room. Then a really dear friend of mine who thought she knew me, but she didn't, um, came to the ER because I have no family here and came to the ER and she took me to what's a place called the Sojourner Center, which is really a halfway house for, you know, women in transition and then I stayed with friends and eventually uh, we had a criminal trial and a uh, civil trial, but the relationship was over then. And I, I think he realized it when he realized that, um, well, first of all, I should backtrack in Arizona. I don't know what it is in every state, 
but you, you, the victim, are not the plaintiff that presses charges. The state decides if they're going to press charges against oh, him or wow. not. So whether I wanted to press charges or not was irrelevant. It was going to happen. What they asked me in the emergency room was, are you willing to testify? And I knew I had to. I knew I had to take that next step. So actually asking people for help or uh, talking to a therapist wasn't enough because he just broke through that uh, restraining order and, and attacked me. And so leaving the relationship technically was not physically leaving. Oh, wow. It was emotionally leaving. Uh, there was something about laying there in the emergency room that really brought it mm -hmm. to light for me. Um, the doctor never talked to me. I, I thought I should mention that. And because it was 25 years ago, there were no advocates for domestic violence in the Scottsdale court. That's all changed now, but that's the way it was in, at that time. But the doctor, he just couldn't, I don't think he could just handle it. He didn't mm -hmm. know what to say to mm -hmm. me. And, um, but anyway, that's, that's how it mm -hmm. severed because I stayed in different places. I eventually moved to a place that was much more secure. And then we had the tri the two trials of which I, I won both trials, but um, what a shame. It's a long yeah, story. What a shame. How I, you know, it's, and I just yeah. think about the, the women that really are in that place. And you said the perfect thing because a lot of it is about shame. And especially if you're educated, like you are, because that, that means yeah. you must be stupid if you allow that. And it's, it's just not true. We just have to ask for help. Mm -hmm. But I wondered when you, that book came out, I, I don't know what year it came out. What year did it come out? Um, it's been out about seven okay. years now. And did you, have What's you had a lot of feedback from that book from people possibly that you could, you were helping? I have. And what's been wonderful about it is I've done a lot of talks to um, uh, the police department at my, at my church at a, at the university, uh, women's groups, book festivals. And there's always somebody that comes up to me and says, I want to read your book because my daughter's in a domestic mm -hmm. violence relationship. My sister is my neighbor, my best friend. Um, and I hear back from those people. I always say, please stay in touch with me. Please stay in touch. And I'd say about 50% of the people. Do. That's great. Um, but yeah, I feel, I feel that it has been the feedback that I've had. I have my reviews, but also just people that don't want to put a review on Amazon. They want to send you. Yes, an email. Yes. So I have, you know, though, and that's really private. And it, and it well, I be. thank you for your so, vulnerability in writing that because that is going to help, even if you help one person. I mean, that's just the magic yes. of, of what you do when you start sharing your wisdom. But uh, I heard you say you have other books. And so tell me the other books that you've written also, Patricia. Okay. The first one is Gifts of Sisterhood. And it's the subtitle is Journey from Grief to Gratitude. And I lost my youngest sister over 20 years ago to lung cancer. And she knew that I wanted to write our story because I have two other sisters that were, um, let's just say, more like my mom and we were more like my dad. You know, families are like that. They're cut right down mm -hmm. the middle. But my younger sister and I were on the same plane. She'd also been in a domestic violence relationship with a marriage. She had also was also in recovery. And so... Um, I wrote it to honor her and wrote it for her children. Well, it, everything that could have happened that was wonderful did with the book. I ended up being involved with the Arizona Lung Association. They featured me in their newsletter. And uh, 
the stop smoking ban came on the ballot for Arizona. So I jumped on that and did a stop smoking sister campaign. So I've had, I've had a lot of good things happen with mm-hmm. that book, all the books, but this one is really near and dear to my heart because it was my younger sister. Mm-hmm. So I guess if there's anybody out there that writes, that's listening, you never know when you write a memoir, if you're just writing it for your family or your children, because you're probably not. I mean, that book took on a life mm-hmm. of its own. Mm-hmm. And then my third book is Sick as My Secrets. And as I said, I have actually, the end of September, I had 40 years of recovery from alcohol. And so I, I did, I've done a lot of speaking with that within the walls of recovery, recovery places, again, my church, the university, et cetera. But um, that book has also been very helpful. And what I do with that book um, is something that uh, is important to me, uh, not only speaking out, but telling my story, but is, but telling about the other side, you know, the arc of when what happens and you stop drinking and then everything that you can do going forward to be of service to other people. And I write about gratitude and forgiveness. And, but what I try to do when the opportunities there is send the sick as my secrets book to somebody that I know needs it, whether they ever come to one of my events, they ever buy the book on Amazon. It's not important. That book belongs to Mm them. And I have sent it to celebrities. I've sent it to just people I've met through friends uh, but, uh, you know, it's a, it's a special book. Yeah, it is. And your titles are just so creative. I mean, there are, there are books that you just want to say, I have to have that book, even if you're, if you're not in that position, you know, but sick as your secrets. Uh, I just find that all of us have secrets that we're ashamed of, or we don't want to be telling people, or we tell just our mate or whatever. Uh, and now that it's mm-hmm. coming out, it's making it okay to tell your secret because that imagine you must have felt like the world was lifted from you when you finally told your secret. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And of course, in the world of recovery, we're supposed to be anonymous. And I was anonymous for about 30 oh. years. And I prayed about it and I realized that I needed to be out. Oh, yeah. that, and there's a whole new movement in this country where pe- when people have long-term sobriety, that they should go that next step and be do even more service. Um, so it uh, it was a relief to, to write the book and tell my story. I started writing it about 10 years ago. That one's been out about five years. And um, just knowing that that it was the right thing to share the story beyond just a small circle of you know, my other recovery friends. And uh, it's been, it's been rewarding. It's been very well, good. Well, you know, we have, we I, have uh, an audience of a lot of entrepreneurs. Most of them are female. I will say I, I've sometimes I'll have a guy say, I love that particular podcast, but what advice or wisdom, cause you're at that wise part of your life now. Would you, would you say to the listeners about anything, you know, cause they're probably the majority are not in domestic violence. Mm-hmm, exactly. I guess number one is that I've I started with the home office in 1996 when I was teaching part time at the university in the community college and developing a training business. And uh, just if if that's your dream, then just do it. I mean, I had people tell me, oh, you know, how are you going to work mm-hmm. at home? It's so isolating. Well, writing is isolating mm-hmm. and I write at home a lot and I work at home now more than ever. And most people do and most people want to. So if you know in your heart it's something you want to do or something that that you can do, um, then you should do it. You know, it's it's that old thing. I don't want to be taking my last breath and think I didn't try something that I wanted to do. 
and when it gets to a point where I know that I need to move on or do something else, that's all well and good. But if you want to try another business, try a satellite business, uh, you know, a complementary business to what you're already doing, I totally believe people should do that. Mm-hmm. And that old saying, uh, every everybody has a book in them. Well, that's true. And if you're not a writer per se, or don't think you want to write your own book, somebody else will help you write it. Because if you're in business, one of the things that will help you is, and we all have been around business enough to know that a lot of entrepreneurs have their own book. It's like, it's like your big business card. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm writing the book now about how to write a memoir, because I've done my workshop so much and I want to go into more into the business side of it. But writing has always been a business. I've been in the business world since I moved to Arizona in the seventies. Mm-hmm. I, I just uh, think that way. And I see everything that I've done from the personal, the emotional aspect, but I also see it from a business aspect. And, you know, nobody said that we didn't have to think that way. I mean, we should all be thinking about how can we move farther, develop more, become more. Success is not a four-letter mm-hmm. word. It's not mm-hmm. a, a bad thing. And and it's something that people should uh, seriously look at and, and move yeah, forward. The advice that I heard, you know, from that, what you were just saying is, for heaven's sake, you only get this one life to live. Get out there and try and yes. do whatever it is that you have this yearning to do. And don't you remember all those years ago when I had a brick and mortar business, it was absolutely appalling if you were in a home business. And they actually said, uh, you're not, you're not in business if you're at home. Well, they were in business at home. They were on Etsy and they were doing all these wonderful things, these entrepreneurial girls. I loved it. And now I think every person, I'm going to say 90% of the people out there that are working want to be in a home-based business now. Well, maybe it's not 90%, but but you're absolutely right. People are looking for that now. I want to uh, end this a minute, but I, I want to ask you how people can get in touch with you because I know somebody's going to want your book or they want to talk to you further. How does how does that happen, Patricia? Well, there are a couple ways. I have a website. It's www.brooksgoldmanpublishing.com. I'm Brooks. My husband's Goldman, but it's Goldman with two ends. So it's brooksgoldmanpublishing.com. Uh, my email is patricia at plbrooks.com. I have three emails, but that's my personal one. If somebody just wants to a personal message, patricia at plbrooks.com. And they can text me too at 480-250-5556. So, and that information is on the website as well. And I would welcome to hear from you. Yeah, and, and I'm sure you will be hearing from somebody because you're very approachable and you're very vulnerable yourself. And that's who people want to talk to. They don't want to talk to the person that is just a little bit above them because they've already been through it. And that's not you at all. But here are the five golden nuggets I got out of what you were saying. For me, anyway, I just was, I wrote them down. One, the first one that I heard really loud was stay independent and able to take care of yourself. Because I loved that about yes. you, Patricia, that you you already had that going for you. And that's so important because you said it right. You said most women stay in that violent situation because they can't get out on their own or they're frightened to, you know. 
And this right, exactly. And that's very real. Oh, that's yes. That's very real. Even the emotional tie is very real. Yeah, and, and the second thing I heard was understand what love addiction is. And I, I think, I see, I didn't know that, what you said about love addiction and, and childhood and all of that. I think that's very important that you that you got that and you understand that and share that now with people. And the third thing I heard you say is knowing yourself is key. And I say knowing yourself is the key to success. It's the key to happiness. It's the key to greater love. I, I just feel that. So I love that one also. Number four is, and I love this, <laughs> consider writing the memoir you're afraid to write. That's You really are very good with titles and topics because <laughs> I, I would be going to that class. And then the last one I heard, and this one probably is the most important thing, is if you are in domestic violence, ask for help, but ask for the right kind of help. I, I thought that was the most valuable yes. thing, Patricia, that you said. And once again, people that are in it are not about to call me and say, oh, my God, my husband just beat the heck out of me. I mean, they're not going to do that, you know. So I, I so mm -hmm. appreciate you coming on and telling your story. And it was a wonderful story that I heard. And I love the fact that we can get in touch with you. I'm just going to repeat your email. And that's Patricia at okay. plbrooks.com. Uh, if you want to yes. get in touch with her, that might be the easiest way. And if you want the phone number and everything else, just go back in this podcast and you'll hear it. Uh, but Patricia, thank you so much for being a wonderful guest. And I just want to tell everybody, it's now Patricia Noel Drain signing off, and I'll see you next time. 